0: Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sharon, and the host of this podcast. You know, in life, there's times you meet those people and you just know that they're special and you know that they've got something good to say. You know, this week I've got my man Ariel Rivera on the show with me and my wife and I met him at an event in Florida for the National PIA and we knew immediately this dude was special. I got to hear the passion in his voice. And I could probably have this dude come on and talk about so many different topics. He could come on and talk about teaching insurance. He could come in and talk about starting an agency from scratch twice. This dude could talk about what he's going to talk about today, which is disaster preparedness and how to handle a crisis. And this dude is unreal. He's been through two natural disasters firsthand, hurricanes down in Puerto Rico, and the way he was prepared for this, his story is phenomenal, and I had to have you hear it. He is on the board of directors for the AIM Society. He is also uh, teaches classes for the National Alliance, and he is also on the board of directors for the PIA, Puerto Rico, as the national director. He is the agency owner of Deer Insurance, and the list could go on and on of this guy's <laughs> accomplishments, accolades, and what he does I can't wait for you to hear our conversation, and I truly hope that the content we bring to you makes you a better insurance professional. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with my main man, Ariel Rivera.
1: Hey, Ariel, how are you? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Did I pronounce that right? No, man, you got to roll your R's. Come on, Ariel. <laughs> so
0: give me the full name with the R rolling, because I'm from the South.
1: All right, so it's Ariel Rivera in Spanish. <laughs> in English, it's uh, it's Ariel, just like the mermaid. So that's why a lot of our the insurance friends call us the merman.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. So I see here you are uh, a father, you're an insurance agent, and now... You are a hairdresser. Tell me about that a little bit. Did you do your wife's hair the other day?
1: Yeah, man. Some people said, yeah, you did that that for the picture and all that. I'm like, no, I actually did it. So my wife said, will you be willing to do it? I'm like, well, let's just, you know, set our goals straight. If it comes out wrong, I'm not going to, you know, I cannot take the blame for that. So she just bought a, whatever, a kit, something online. I saw a couple of YouTube videos. And I just did her hair. And you know what? It came out awesome, dude. Did it really? So you <laughs> yeah. got a backup
0: career there in, in Puerto Rico yep, or yep. Florida, either one.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, the, the worst part, so now I got to keep doing it. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you have daughters too. Are they going to want you to do their hair too one day?
1: Probably, yeah. We have my daughter is six. Uh, I have my my only daughter. She's only six uh, okay. now. But she says that when I grow up, you're going to do my hair as well.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, since we're talking about your family and your kids, why don't you uh, take a stroll down memory lane and tell us about uh, who Rivera who, uh, is. There you go. Tell me, tell me about yourself or tell Insurance Town about yourself. Let's walk down memory yes. lane. Yes.
1: So everyone in Insurance Town, I'm Ariel. As uh, he said, my last name is Rivera. I'm originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico. I was born and raised there uh, basically been there my whole life. I started in the insurance industry when I was 22 years old, uh, just out of college. And actually it was my last year in college. And I saw a sign that said, so, you know, when you, you know, back in the early 2000s, this was 2002, you would see like flyers all over college campus and everything. I saw a flyer that said, work very little, make a lot of money, manage your own time. John Hancock. I was like, wow, that's what I want for life. I want to work very little. I want to manage my own time. I want to make a lot of money. And that is completely false. (laughs) Worst worst advertising ever. I mean, it took me 10 years to actually, you know, work a little bit little and then make money. So, So yeah, I started my own agency when I was 22. I went to the John Hancock career agent program for a year. Life insurance is how I started. I actually love life insurance. I'm passionate about anything related to insurance. So I truly believe, you know, we help people a lot. Um, Then after a year, it was hard being a 22 year old kid, you know, selling people, you know, buying, having people buy some life insurance policies, annuities, and stuff like that. And I, you know, met up with the opportunity of handling a couple of autos and businesses and stuff like that. And I was like, hmm, this is nice. I mean, it's a little bit more dynamic. And what I did at that time, I went out, took all the insurance licenses for Puerto Rico at that time, um, and then just made the switch right away to PNC. So I started doing property and casualty. I had a, I call him an old guy. The guy, the gentleman was 60 by then. That's pretty young now. So now that I'm almost 40, um, that guy came to me and he said, listen kid, are you married? I was like, no, I was with my wife. I mean, she was my girlfriend back then. Do you have any kids? I'm like, no. Where do you live? I live with my grandparents. And he goes, "You got to start your own agency. Best advice ever. If you don't have any debt, you don't have any kids, you don't have any commitment, Start your own agency. I wish I would have done that."
0: So you went from John Hancock captive yep. straight to independent and started from scratch in Puerto Rico.
1: Yes, sir. That so- that time there was basically no internet or anything. So I I would do canvassing. So they would basically in insurance they would tell you. In Puerto Rico, in PNC, you want to get business, you got to go knock on doors. So I will go visit restaurants, you know, the traditional mom and pop shop. That's why we started doing a lot of commercial back then. Um, I was just knocking doors.
0: Were you in an area of Puerto Rico that was a touristy area? Because I think Puerto Rico, I think of, you know, tourist attractions and beautiful hotels and beaches and whatnot. Were you in that kind of area, or what? What were you? Yep.
1: Telling yeah, you? I was in the, in the in the city, the capital, which is San Juan, the main city, born and raised there. Um, so basically, I would able I was able to access every business around, you know, tourist place and stuff like that. So it, it was a good area. It was uh, being in San Juan is different than being in the center of the island, which is the mountains. That it's you know less communities, you know less people. Uh, around to actually sell insurance or provide service.
0: Now, in that city, in San Juan, was there a lot of independent insurance agents at that time?
1: Yep, there's a lot. It's actually funny because, you know, some some state or rural areas in different states, you would see maybe 50, 60 independent agencies, you know, in a 50-mile radius. You would have 300 agencies in probably a 50-mile radius. So it it is hard. So even to start as a young kid, it was very hard because obviously, you know, the older generation, the big guys, they will control all the big accounts and everything related to that. That's when obviously after hundreds of no's and hundreds of disappointments, um, I decided one of the main things for me was actually to study insurance. So that's when... Back in the day, I had to call the National Alliance and ask for their permission to take the CIC designate. So to become a certified insurance counselor, you need a five-year experience. So otherwise, you could not do it. At least that's what they would tell me. So I would call them up and ask for permission and say, listen, I want to take the CIC. So I kind of convinced them. And after that, I mean, my career just, it kicked off really good. Because a lot of people think insurance is all about selling, but it's actually you got to know how to protect your client's assets. So education for me was crucial. It was very important. That's why I'm a huge advocate of insurance education. Um, and then I took, you know, other CPA uh, designations like the CPIA, the Certified Professional Insurance Agent from the AIM Society. Um, I've done the CRM courses as well because I love risk management. So insurance education is crucial. Any agent, especially any agent that's starting his career or her career, I would always say go out and study. So the marketing, the Facebook, the Instagram, the social media, that you can't control because, you know, this kid, they already know that. So for us, we have to learn it. I'm no, not techie at all. I can't even do a freaking sap. <laughs> we was like, you got to sap this, do sap this, sap that. I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> I'm learning, but I, I don't even know already what, know about, that
0: I don't even know what you're talking about on that. But, okay, so you got into the education two, three years into your career and wanted to get your CIC and your CRM and you started CPIA. Then – I imagine you got to use that CRM or the uh, risk manager pretty quickly down in Puerto Rico. Was there, you know, some events that happened, you know, with the hurricanes and whatnot that helped you to use that?
1: Yep, that was very crucial for me. So it's kind of sad that I actually have one more course to get the designation. So what I did was I took all the CICs, and then since you needed to get an update every year, I would then take the CRM courses, and then on the side I would go ahead and you know at that time. Maybe Google started being more famous in 2005 or six or whatever. So I would research and read a lot of the insurance policy and try to work more towards the risk management part of it to help the client, you know, understand their policy. And at the end, it came out perfect because when we were hit with back-to-back hurricanes in 2017, we had Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria. Um, I was able to prepare my agency to actually, you know, come out on top be ready for whatever came. Because remember, a lot of people were without power for over 90 days. So no power, no internet, no anything. Um, We were doing things manually on a notebook and people were, well, why can't you use the laptop? Because you can't charge it. So (laughs) if you don't have any power, you can not charge your laptop or anything. So that part was a it was interesting. The risk management part of it, it was more towards the agency. And that's one thing I'm a huge advocate as well about preparing your agency. You got to set up your agency. I think right now we're dealing with the whole COVID-19 thing. And a lot of agencies have to improvise and listen, there's nothing wrong. But I always say it. I mean, if you don't want to risk it, you got to plan it. So we plan our sales goals. We plan our, our annual goals. We set up our producers. You know, we do everything, but we do not look at ourselves and take care of ourselves. So one of the things I like and, and, and I talk about in disaster preparedness is, listen, you got to take care of yourself. You got to prepare your team, prepare your family, prepare your community. I mean, if a disaster happens or a pandemic like it is now, how do you set up your agency to keep working, to keep providing services to your clients, you know, and and, and everything around You can go as fancy as a 100-page manual, or you can go as simple as a one-page manual. So whatever works for you, you know yourself, you know your team, and it's simple stuff. Things like, okay, so if a pandemic comes around, or if a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, some type of big disaster, because believe it or not, this is a disaster, what we're going on right now. I mean, Jesus Christ, you can't even go out and hug someone. And that, for us, is very hard. So... We're hugging. Yeah,
0: That's, that's <laughs> so, very true. Very true.
1: So one of the things we say is, listen, who's going to answer the phones? Who's going to be making sales calls? Are we going to be using our cell phones? Or do we have soft phones for our agency to actually answer the phone and things like that?
0: How did that work? Okay, let's go back to 90 days without power. And you're talking about you can't charge your laptop. How were people able to charge their cell phones or even use their cell phones back then? Or was that something that became an issue as well? Because not a lot of people had landlines, I would imagine, in 2017 after Hurricane Maria. So what, how was that, what was that like for you? Let's back up just a few minutes. Yeah,
1: that's a great question, man. It's, a, it's an interesting one. So landlines, uh, obviously, as you said, in 2017, there's not many of them. People would probably charge their cell, their cell phone mostly in their cars. So basically, when it was safe to go out, like after a week after the hurricane um, you would go out, there was no power, so there was no AC. Remember, it's 90 degrees down in Puerto Rico. So you're suffering, you're sleeping, you're sweating, you're taking cold showers. I mean, everything basically. I always say, and maybe I'm being a little bit exaggerating on this, uh, we saw hell. I mean, we saw hell. We saw hell as a business, as an agency. Um, insurance carriers saw hell as well. It was hard. So what we would do is I set up, so I got three different airplane tickets to actually leave Puerto Rico three days or four days, I don't remember now the exact date, after the hurricane. So how I prepared my agency is I said, okay, if the hurricane hits, which is going to destroy us, once the airport is safe and my team was ready, my wife and my daughter, we're going to go. At that point, my uh, disaster preparedness plan was to go to Florida but then Hurricane Irma, which was the first one that came around, then you know, passed Puerto Rico and came to Florida. And then Hurricane Maria, if it would do the same, then we will be basically, you know, nowhere to work or nowhere to do. So then I switched it up and I went to my mom's house in North Carolina. So my my whole you know thought was once the airport opens, they're gonna people are gonna start buying plane tickets. Plane tickets went from you can fly from San Juan to Orlando for like 300 bucks, nonstop, you know. But then once the the hurricane happens, it's gonna come up to 2,000 dollars. So I bought them before the hurricane hit. I did uh, Delta, American, and JetBlue, and I said, "Listen, one of these guys has to take me out on business because I bought my tickets before the hurricane." So did you did you know beforehand? The
0: Maria and Irma were going to be that big? Or how did you know to buy the tickets ahead of time?
1: Yeah, that, it was, it was uh, because we had, that's the thing. The funny thing is Irma and Maria were, I think they were 20 days apart. So the power problem started happening with Hurricane Irma that came through the island as a category one. So a lot of people, including my office, we never had power since Irma happened. So it was twenty days afterwards, as we saw the trajectory. So one funny thing about Puerto Ricans, we are all meteorologists or you know, weather enthusiasts or, you know, right. I mean consultants or whatever. Dude, a hurricane comes to is coming to Puerto Rico and everyone starts posting their trajectories. It's gonna go down. Forget the American or European model. Look at the Puerto Rican model.
0: <laughs> so I'm glad I know you then. So if I ever yeah, yeah. meteorologist, <laughs> I didn't need to call a meteorologist Merman.
1: Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we saw the trajectory. It was coming very low. Usually, once they hit the the minor uh, islands, uh, they start going up. So it was coming so low that we said this is just going to cross right through the middle of Puerto Rico. So we could see it. So actually, I was a uh, in Minneapolis at a PIA convention that weekend before the hurricane hit us on a Wednesday and that Saturday I was in Minneapolis and I sat down, I remember sitting down actually at the bar, of course. Um, not that I support that, but I sat down at the bar <laughs> with, Nothing wrong with it. Nothing, Nothing wrong. wrong with it, yeah. When you've been
0: through as many hurricanes as you have, I think you're allowed to have a few drinks. Thank
1: you, thank you. So yeah, so I sat down at the bar with Keith Savino who was becoming the National president at the time, and I said, Keith, hold on one second. I need to buy some plane tickets. So, because I was looking at the trajectory and I said, you know, a couple of cursing or bad words, like Maria is actually gonna, you know, F us. Um, And Keith just looked at me and laughed, and he was like, Do you really think so? And I'm like, Oh, yeah, she's gonna destroy us. So, I bought my airplane tickets, notified my, uh, my wife. I let her listen, we're set up. Obviously, never in a million years we would think that the airport towers will be down, so the airport ended up opening maybe 10, 12 days afterwards. So what they did is they started taking away uh, the elderly and then the sick people. So they were the the ones with priorities because planes were coming in from the states with all the help, FEMA, military, I mean, everyone. So many people came from the mainland to help. That was, I mean, so good. People fight and argue whether they came on time or not. Listen, the airport was closed, so, Unless you can swim to Puerto Rico, there was it was almost impossible to come in. So on that sense, once the airport opened, I started, there was no almost no cell phone signal. So imagine a huge highway of four or five lanes. People will drive to that highway because there was a point in that highway that actually there was cell phone signal. So the highway became from five lanes to one lane. And then because the other four lanes, there were hundreds of cars lined up of people actually calling their families and their families in the state, because almost every Puerto Rican has family in the state. In so my became, case, I have my mom, so. <laughs>
0: so it became a parking lot, and people were just like a cell phone lot, using their phones. And so, yep. you ended up going to North Carolina, you said, to go with your Yep, mom.
1: yep, Greensboro. yeah. With,
0: you were running the agency from North Carolina at that point? Because you had power there, you had cell phone, you had internet, yep.
1: laptops,
0: you had all that there.
1: Exactly, so what we did is, we set up the agency for my wife and I, she was the legal consultant uh, at the agency, so she would handle claims, so we would set up the agency, and And then my team, they had designated route. So we did a lot of condos, um, commercial building, shopping centers, and stuff like that. So my team would basically go out from 10 to 3 or 4, do their route, try to reach out to the client or a security guard or somebody that can help at the condo or the commercial building. They will get their notes, and then they will drive to the highway to call us and say, listen, this is the only place we got signal. These are the claims we can report now. And then they will report their claims to us, and we will start documenting everything in our AMS system, sending it to the carriers, and opening claims. So 30, the plan worked out so perfect in a way, but so not perfect in another way. Perfect because 30 days afterwards, we had over a 1,000 claims open. Open with a claim number. We notify the carrier. So I have friends that their agencies were still opening claims a year after the hearing because they just, they were not ready. So the part that was not perfect is at the same time, a lot of agencies were not ready or some of them, the carriers were not ready as well. So some, yeah. Now, did
0: you find that there were other clients that weren't yours? Maybe they were the client of some agency down the street calling you because they knew that you could take care of these claims. Or were you only handling your claims? Because I would imagine if I get a phone call from my buddy that says, hey, Ariel Rivera took care of my claims. What's going on with your guy? Then he might call Ariel and say, hey, could you call in my claim? Are you doing any of that?
1: Yeah. So it's funny. First of all, good job on the R's. You're rolling them, man. You're getting there. <laughs> so so that's a, that's a great question. Um, because, yeah, we had a lot of calls from people. But then it became sad in ter- as professionals, you know, and ethically because, Everything was a comparison, and that was exactly the scenario, what you just said. People would say, well, my neighbor got his claim on. Why don't I have one? So my agent sucks. No, or the agency that I'm using, I don't like it. So it became a comparison, especially a lot of people could not understand that most of the problems were, listen, in the two biggest hurricanes that Puerto Rico had in 89 and in 1998, which is Hugo and George, I think we had somewhere around 80,000 claims. So Hurricane Maria was over 300,000 claims. So the carriers could not handle that, not because they didn't want to. It was because it was humanly impossible to do that. So I would even prepare my clients. So when I set up their their interviews with the adjusters and I would actually spend 10, 15, 20 minutes with the client saying, when you sit down, whether you lost a canopy, your roof, your windows or whatever, when you sit down with that adjuster, always remember that he might have lost something too. So that's very important because obviously it shows empathy and kindness and then the good faith of the transaction between the carrier, the agency. And they insure, but at the same time, people will go in there and say, okay, pay me, pay me, pay me, pay me, pay me. That was a bad day for the adjuster because that day he had no power. So he had to go to work sweating, not sleeping because he was sweating all night, take a cold shower in the morning. He could not fix breakfast for him and his family, but he had to go to work and adjust claims. So he had a bad day. And when people will be like, pay me, pay me this, he would say, no, decline, decline, decline. And people would not understand whether it was because of it was declined by the insurance policy or it was declined because of the emotion that was going on with that conversation. So we set up our client meeting by going into the carriers at four in the morning, four or five o'clock in the morning, and they would do it. I mean, imagine going back to 1990s, you would have a take a ticket thing. And then the security guard the insurance company, you would have at four or five in the morning, probably three hundred four hundred people outside so we will tell our, we will tell our clients, listen we're gonna go in we're going to take your turns they will only give us twenty turns so you cannot do more than twenty turns in one day um, obviously every once in a while bring some coffee and donuts to the security guard so he can give you five or ten more turns, <laughs> give him some love and appreciation so when we did that then we will tell our clients. We will meet you at the insurance carrier's office at, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock because we know they were not going to be sitting down for their interview until noon or something. So clients will come in. We will give them their turn. Listen, you're number two, you're number 10, you're number 100 or whatever. We will take off, have some breakfast, go back, work on other claims, visit other clients, and then come back somewhere around five or six o'clock in the afternoon. No lunch, no anything. And at that point in time, the client almost every time they were still sitting there. So for you to adjust the claim, it would take probably for you to stay in the carrier from nine in the morning to like seven or eight o'clock at night. It was brutal. It was very, Uh, very hard.
0: It sounds like it was brutal. I can only imagine. And so I imagine during all of this, you're talking about hurricanes and preparedness. You sounded like you had a great plan that, in your words, worked out perfectly. And that's fantastic. Now, in order to be prepared like that, you uh, you probably had to have quite a bit of resilience. You know, you probably had to have a lot of, you know, empathy, it sounds like, for those adjusters, for your clients. Uh, talk to me, uh, walk me through some of that, too, and uh, I know that's a little bit of a soapbox for you, so uh, talk to me about that a little bit, about that empathy, about that resilience, about that kindness.
1: Yeah, I always say, uh, I mean, we protect people's assets, you know? We always say, we protect your efforts, so you know becoming an engineer buying a half a million dollar home is very hard that person has to study go to work do many things so but the same thing goes for us as agency owners or or insurance agents or producers i mean we have to be resilient we have to be resilient for our clients we have to be strong for our families for our communities but at the same time we have to make sure every transaction has empathy and kindness because it's funny, I, uh, my claim CSR, I would train her and say the funny part was, so when a client calls you crying and saying, my car is a total wreck, it can actually be a total loss or it could be a minimum scratch that the dog did on the door or a minimum dent. So who determines the magnitude of how good or bad or, or, or how horrible a claim is? It's not us. So that's why we say you got to show empathy because what's little for you might be big for them. So that's one of the most important things. And the other thing, kindness, because I mean, and I'm, I'm, I always say my plan worked out perfect for us on a professional way. But at the same time, it was not perfect because clients spend almost a year, year and a half without getting their claims paid. Some claims were paid three, six, nine months afterwards. We still have open claims. So it's 2020 and we have claims that are open. So how do you work with every client? And the only way to work around that is just kindness. I mean, be kind, understand that they are in need, that they need their money. And whatever disagreement it might you might have with the insurance company or with the insurer, it can be settled down. So obviously, we try to avoid going through legal or public suggesters or stuff like that. But all of that is a measure of how resilient we are. I always make a joke. We insurance people in our DNA we carry very weird stuff. I mean, if you want to get an insurance guy to do something, tell him he can't do it. If right. you tell me I cannot do my wife hair, Oh dude, I'm doing it.
0: I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. And there's pictures to prove it. If you want to go check it out on his Facebook page, it's yes. pretty classic. Feel
1: free to connect.
0: <laughs> yes. That is fantastic. Okay. So I love that you talk about having that resilience, that kindness, that empathy. And I think that's fantastic. Um, now they're predicting a second wave, or they're predicting, you know, this to happen again in the future. And there's agencies out there right now; they're listening to you right now and, and hoping you're going to give us some ideas on how we could be prepared. If yep, this yep. comes around again, and it sounds like you're pretty good at that, <laughs> you know, you've been through. <laughs> I, <new know>. <laughs> I went through it disasters. though. <laughs> And this may not be a natural disaster, but this is definitely, you know, a crisis. A tester, yep. So talk to me, what advice would you give the agents of
1: Insurance Town
0: on how to be prepared if this does come around again and if this does happen again? I'd love to hear your advice on that from your perspective.
1: Yep. So my biggest advice, and, and, and I would like for any agent that listens to this podcast to, t- to take it as a takeaway, is look from the outside in. How do you set up your agency? So make sure Take this time, I don't know, maybe one hour a week, one hour a day, three hours a week, whatever time you need to make sure, look at your systems. Do you have many systems? I mean, dude, when you look at how much we pay in technology and systems, I mean, it's crazy. Are those the right systems? So the phone lines, the VoIP that you're using, can you have soft phones? So by soft phones I mean soft phones because you can access your phone line and your you know your main agency uh phone lines through your computer through your laptop so you don't actually need a physical phone you can have them but now companies nowadays uh, that run the voip and there's a lot of them that you know they can reach out to you can have phones set up in your office in your home and the same thing on your computer so look at your agency from the outside in what would your client want to see are you set up properly to work from home because as you just said if a second wave comes around and you were not prepared, it's basically, you know, like you you ignore what just happened. So whether it comes around or not, we don't know. I guess nobody knows. We just pray to God it doesn't come around, but you have to be prepared. So set up your phone lines. sit down one, two, three hours a week to set up your agency, not for sales. Sales are awesome and they're good. Whether you're one guy or a hundred people in your agency, set up who's gonna answer the phone. How are you gonna redirect your calls? Are you going to be using the laptop? So after the hurricane, we learn nobody has a computer. What should we do as we move forward in the future? Everybody's getting a laptop and a monitor. That's it. No PCs, no anything. Laptop and a monitor. Why? Because the laptop, when the hurricane hits again, you can actually pick it up and take it home. And then you can work from there. So spend a little bit more on communications because at the end of the day, clients want to communicate um, with their agents whether it's social media or phone calls or text messaging, all that helps. So look from the outside in. And the biggest takeaway is got to be make a plan, whether it's one page or 100 pages. I don't care. Make a plan. So Heath is going to be answering the phone. Ariel is going to be making the sales calls. Um, Mark is going to be handling claims. And that way you organize your agency to a point that everybody feels comfortable what they're doing. By the way, whether you're using BAs, which is great and awesome, but you also got to prepare the VAs for this, because as you just said, the hurricane hit Puerto Rico, but the pandemic hit the world. So now you have agencies that work with VAs that maybe their VAs have to improvise as well. So you, if you have VAs, set up a plan with them as well. Companies like Andy's uh this and an agency VA and many others. I mean, I'm sure they're doing their plans and they're setting up because. I mean, they do a wonderful job with what they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, they sure do. And I think that's fantastic advice to be prepared and to be ready for anything for that matter. And I've loved hearing your story. And is there any last piece of advice, whether it's hair advice or if it's insurance, or if it's being being prepared from outside in, or if there's anything else, I would love for you to, you know, take one last few minutes here. You know, if you want to share one last piece of advice, uh, anything like that, I would love to give you the floor.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. Well, after 16 years, this is my 17th year now in the industry. Um, I started my first agency in Puerto Rico, I actually sold that agency last February. Uh, so now I started a scratch one in Florida and it's funny because it was a little bit more easier, let's just put it that way, back when you're 22 than when you're 38. So <laughs> if everything changes, now I have the knowledge. So I think knowledge is power, which is good. Uh, but one thing I would love to say to people is listen, educate yourself, reach out to your communities, be part of the community, help them out, pay it forward as much as you can. Because if you're in it for the long run, I mean, you're going to do great.
0: That's fantastic. Okay. So, Actually, I lied to you. I'm not going to wrap up because I have one last question. So you no longer have your location in Puerto Rico? Is that what you're saying? Or is D? No. No. Okay. So you're totally out of Puerto Rico Uh, now?
1: Right now, yeah. Right now I'm in San Agustin, Florida. So I opened uh, the agency a year and a half ago in Jacksonville. Um, And then at that time, I was flying between Florida and Puerto Rico when I opened the Florida one. Then a great opportunity came out somewhere around December and we sat down and you know, I sat down with my wife, and I, we said I was very emotionally attached to my agency because I started when I was 22. Yeah. So that was, I mean, she was my girlfriend by then, so that was her baby. It was, I mean, you would ask me to sell my agency, I would be like, you're disrespecting me, man. But you know what? Things changes. life changes, family became a priority for me. Um, I had, after the hurricane, of course, I had health issues and many other things that, I mean, I, I got hit hard. So I went from being perfectly, I mean, uh, healthy to taking three blood pressure medicines. Yeah, at the end of the day, it was a, it was a great transaction. It was a good deal. Uh, my wife and I you know, made, this, made the decision together and said, you know what? Let's just sell it. And we're going to focus on Florida now. So that's where we are right now. And we're starting. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It's crazy. We have all the knowledge. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so but in- now...
1: By the way, it's a curse. Sorry to interrupt you. It's a curse as well, because you have all the knowledge of what worked and what didn't work for 16 years. So you want to implement everything in one day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. So it's it's Deer Insurance, correct?
1: Deer Insurance Agency. Yep. Up in Jacksonville. And we're trying another big change we did was we did a, a lot of commercial down in Puerto Rico. So we were big we were, write, you know, condos, commercial property and all that. And in, in Florida, we switch it to personal lines. So we're, we're focusing more on personal lines, you know, helping people, you know, insure their homes, their houses and stuff like that. We do small business as well. But commercial, large commercial accounts, at least in Puerto Rico. I mean, I don't never handle one of those here in Florida. You know, big guys probably like David Cather, they can speak out, you know, how, how awesome it is. Um, and they do a wonderful job. You know, it came to a point in time that it took away so much time of myself and my family. So I'd rather do personal lines, put in the hours, hustle, work hard, but at the same time be with my family. So that changed a lot for me. That So for now, we're sticking to personal lines. And anything commercial that comes around, we'll send it to the big guys like David.
0: <laughs> yeah, he does a great job. Um, okay, so if... If any of the, the agents at Insurance Town wanted to reach out to you to talk to you, would you share some of your contact information and maybe you know take this time to, to tell them a little bit about that for me?
1: Yeah, sure. All right. So they can send me a text message. My number is 787-568-4189. I can give you my email as well, but I'll probably answer better text message. So but the email is Ariel, which is my name, just like the mermaid at dearinsurance.com. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic.
1: By the way, just so you know, and then almost nobody knows this. So if anybody wants to buy it from me, I'm not going to sell it. I actually own mermaninsurance.com, the domain. (laughs) That is awesome. Uh,
0: That is fantastic. And so from your story to hairstylist, to helping me roll my R's, to helping us prepare for a disaster. I appreciate everything. I have loved our conversation and I'm going to have to have you come back on again. Cause uh, you know, I I love hearing these stories and uh, I want to check in and hear more about deer. And if you ever started Merman insurance, so we'll see. Yep. Uh, There you go. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much. And it was really good talking to you. Have a great day, my man.
1: Thank you, man. Likewise. I love your podcast and I hope everyone, you know, keeps following and listening to it. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much, buddy.
0: Hey, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's episode of Insurance Town with me and Ariel Rivera. I truly hope that it was a value add to your day today. I also appreciate all the love and support you've given me. I truly appreciate the emails and the text and hit me up on social. You guys are awesome and the feedback has been incredible good and the bad and the ugly. It's only helping me to improve this show. If you have any ideas, if you have any show ideas, guest ideas, anything like that, feel free to hit me up. You know how to find me, Heath at insurancetownpodcast.com. And I got to tell you, like I do every week, Insurance Town is produced by Ready, Set, Podcast. They make everything so easy for me. And while I'm on that, if you've got an idea for a podcast or a niche, whatever business you're in, uh, whether it's personal lines, commercial lines, uh, whether you want to focus on a particular niche in commercial lines or personal lines, I really think that this would be a great platform for you to do so and set yourself up as the expert. It would also help your clientele. The podcasting is so cool, and it's all been super easy for me by my man, Ryan, at Ready Set Podcast. They can do it on location or they can do it remotely over the internet. If you've got a great idea for a podcast, hit them up, ReadySetPodcast.xyz, or you can find them on Facebook or Instagram. Set Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into a reality. Thank you so much again for stopping by. Hope to see you again next time.